mold breakers, trailblazers, and takers of roads less traveled. And we're here to tell their stories. Here's your host, Andrew Lawrence. Not all of us look the way the world expects us to look, think as the world expects us to think, or arrive at our destination the way the world expects us to. On the Square Peg Podcast, we give a voice to mold breakers, trailblazers, and takers of roads less traveled. I'm your host, Andrew Lawrence, and here are their stories. Thank you to the Searchlight Needles for getting us started, as always. The hashtag needles aren't just a quartet of middle-aged, overweight, and balding El Pasoans. Robert Martinez, Josh Smith, Adrian Ortiz, and David Sines are four really fantastic guys who hold down jobs and take care of families during the week, and they rock out on weekends. You can find them on the web at www.searchlightneedles.com. You can find them on Facebook, and you can download their album on all streaming services. And now, here's a message from one of the sponsors who make this program possible. Lorenzo's Italian Restaurant has been a part of the Las Cruces community for over 25 years, supporting schools, shelters, and veterans. Even during COVID times, Lorenzo's is offering patio tent dining, delivery, curbside pickup, chow now online, and mobile app ordering. Now offering customers any signature or two-topping pizza for only $15. There's only one Lorenzo's in town, and it's at 1753 East University in Pan Am Plaza. You can call 575-521-3505. And ladies and gentlemen, just a little bit of ad lib here. If you've never had a Lorenzo's meatball, you've never had a Lorenzo's meatball. By the way, dip their bread in some of the oil with a little bit of salt, a little bit of Parmesan. You will not be disappointed, I guarantee you. My guest today on the show is my cousin, Jeremy Hyman. He is a educator. He has uh, advanced degrees in chemistry and a PhD in education. He's a native of the Pittsburgh suburb of Monroeville, Pennsylvania, and he is a lifelong Pittsburgh sports fan. Jeremy Hyman, welcome to the Square Pick Podcast. Thanks so much for having me here, man. It's great to be here. You know, I um, got to thinking, I'm always trying to think of people that I want to have as a guest on the show, and I'm actually really, really lucky because I know a lot of people, I have a lot of friends and a lot of relatives, actually, who are really interesting people who I think would fit this show, and, um, you know, it's not every day that, that I have somebody on the show who, who's done uh, the kind of things that you've done, and what you're doing uh, with your with your professional life is rather unique, and that's <clears throat> that's why we wanted to have you on the show. So... You actually are about to start a brand new job, aren't you? That's correct. Yeah, that is uh, pretty pretty breaking news. Actually, it's uh, still well. By the time people hear this in three weeks, I think uh, it'll be it, it'll it'll already gone into effect. But yes, that is that is correct. I, I, I just accepted a new position as an associate director at a really exciting uh, urban education nonprofit in Philadelphia, in North Philadelphia. So, and you're living yeah. in Allentown, right? Yeah, currently I live in Allentown, and we're going to be uh, relocating to the Philadelphia area um, sometime over the summer. Okay. So, you know, I I have a habit sometimes. I wouldn't call it a bad habit, but I do have a habit of of sticking pretty strictly to a, a chronological uh, thing with starting off where you're from and, and all that good stuff. But yeah. why don't we yeah. – Why don't we? I want to do a little bit differently this time. Why don't you tell yeah. us again exactly what the job is, where it is, and what you'll be doing at your new position? Uh, at least to the, be- to the best of what I know to the best of my ability for now, at least I guess we'll, we'll move backwards. So I will be an associate director at Stepping Stone Scholars, which is an urban education nonprofit 
in North Philadelphia, and the, the, the organization spoke to me because the position is really at the nexus of, of my passions for STEM education and college access. Uh, what this organization does is they, um, they strive to work with, with, with young people in certain high poverty areas of North Philadelphia from, from middle school through high school and, and into and through college. And, uh, the idea is to really fundamentally, uh, you know, address some of the systemic barriers to opportunity that, 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 that individuals and communities face in, 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 you know, in, in largely underinvested communities. And, uh, you know, to really, you know, fundamentally broaden the opportunities that are, that are available to, to, to these students and, and, you know, these, these young people. And, uh, and really seeing them through and, 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 and advocating for them and whatnot. And so my role, uh, it's still actually a little bit in development because things have shifted a little bit through the interview process. But I will, my, my title is Associate Director of STEM Training and Ventures. And what I, what I gather is I'll be working across the middle school, high school, and college continuum, um, you know, to, 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 uh, with, with, um, building and strengthening some of their programs. They, they offer, they, they have a variety of, of after school enrichment programs, supplemental programs, and, you know, kind of early exposure internship and experiential learning programs, and I'll be, you know, working with, working with developing and strengthening some of those, um, as well as, um, you know, hopefully getting to do some work building and managing some partnerships because I really enjoy um, developing partnerships that really um, expand opportunities for, for, for students in underinvested communities, and I, I think... I, I don't feel too confident speaking to specific projects yet because it's, I, I haven't started there. This is all very new just within the past few days, really. Um, and, uh, but I'm, I'm excited about it because it, it really seems like this organization is very much in line with, 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 with my passion. Uh, and, and really my central passion is around, you know, uh, expanding access and opportunity, you know, to post-secondary opportunities and, and, and careers, but specifically with a focus on STEM. And, and that's, you know, that's really the work that this position seems to be, seems to be you know, moving towards and, and, and focusing on. So, wish so, me luck. We'll see how it goes, but I'm, I'm excited. So you're not um, going to be actually doing any uh, instruction uh, in a classroom, but it sounds to me like this organization has partnerships with public school systems in the area? Yes. So they work, they work with, with partnered middle schools and high schools as well as they're developing. They have, one of the other things that they do beyond just with the, with the middle school and high, and high schools, um, so they have like federal trio grants offering after school enrichment programs, like via the trio upward bound program, and uh, jointly with Temple University, which is where they're located. And then, for example, in terms of higher ed, they just got a grant to launch a new partnership with the University of Pennsylvania, aka Penn, to develop a STEM equity lab. And they haven't fleshed that out yet, but but I will be working alongside another individual who just came on board to develop that out. And my hope for that certainly would be to, you know, utilize, you know, and leverage the the resources of a place like of places like Penn and 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 the other you know connections with this nonprofit to really uh, you know provide opportunities and and whatnot to to the to these young people. So I, I will be working with um, these like after school program teachers and, and staff members. Um, as well as, you know, others um, at, at the uh, at, at different sites, I think, at the schools, uh, and perhaps on, you know, directly from people from the nonprofit side. And, and uh, you yeah, know, it's still kind of coming into focus, to be honest. I think we'll have a better sense 
once once I have a, once they get into terms of what projects I'm working on, but there's that there's also a workforce development piece where I'll be working with some folks who are doing that work. But uh, I mean, I haven't really been in the classroom myself for the for the most part, with some exceptions, for for a number of years. Granted, I've been doing a lot of direct student advising and things of that nature. So right. I'll be you know working on a broader scale, which is kind of what I've been hoping to do since since completing my doctoral work to be able to change on a you know on a larger setting and scale than what I've been doing. So, would there will there be opportunities? It seems to me with this nonprofit to uh, work with or do some direct lobbying for changes to public policy to help further your your goals. That is a great question. I hope so. Um, I've done a little bit of that in some of my prior work. Um, I was very fortunate, you know, in, in, when I worked at Ellis, which I know will be one of the main topics for today. We, we got to do some some, some lobbying with a couple different folks. I hope so, and I, I think. I have the sense that this, that this organization does probably do some of that. We'll see. Um, we'll see how directly or indirectly that occurs. I, I have, my work for, for me, as far as I'm concerned, I think for me, my person to put in, and I like to. I hope that the, the work that I do and have done professionally, as well as in my research, you know, at least help to help to, to spur that change. You know, regardless of, of how directly I'm involved with people who are actually policymakers. I, I guess that's what I. The best I can say for now. Well, let's uh, let's kind of go back, and um, I'm going to do the chronological thing here a little bit uh, now sure, that we've kind of introduced sure. you and and what your new position is and what you do for a living. You uh, you, you, you cut out a little bit there, Larry. Okay, um, can you hear me now? Yes. Okay, so we'll, we'll kind of go back and maybe do the the chronological thing here a little bit. Uh, you, like sure. I said, you're a native of Monroeville, Pennsylvania, uh, Western Pennsylvania, yeah. third generation, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I mean, it depends how you, how you count it, but yes, my, on my, on my mother's side, uh, on my mother's side, it actually goes, yeah, on my mother's side, my, my, uh, my mother, my grandmother, uh, were, 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 were natives of the area, and, and I have, and, and my great grandparents spent most of their lives in the area. On my mother's side and, and part of my father's side as well, I have, I have great grandparents who are also, uh, who are also were raised in the area, so we've got a very strong, strong group. Now, uh, to Western PA in that, that West Belt region. If I if I remember correctly, and I've pro- I probably should have talked to my dad before we began this interview. Now, I, both of my dad's parents were the youngest of many many children. So my dad, mm-hmm. age wise, was kind of halfway between two generations, and in a lot of cases, was much closer to the children, uh, had closer personal relationships to the children of his first yeah. cousins. And if I'm not mistaken. It was your grand, your maternal grandmother, who was the first cousin of my father. That's correct. Yes. But because my dad, because of the age differences, I know my dad and your mom Anita uh, were very close, and you know yep. we we probably did the four hour drive up to Pittsburgh uh, twice a year. And I know your dad has family in Gaithersburg, Maryland, which isn't too far from where I grew up. So you know we got to see each other, you know, several times yeah, a year every, growing up, and a year a few yeah, years younger than every, I am. Every Thanksgiving we came down. Exactly. So, growing up in Monroeville, obviously you're a you know you guys are big sports fans. Uh, the Steelers, uh, Pirates. I know you're a big baseball fan. Yeah, um, big Pirates fan, absolutely. Now you're you. I would say that you probably identify as as a fairly coming from a fairly working class background. Although your dad was very successful at his job uh, and was able to provide a nice life for his family, um, you know, wearing getting getting down and dirty and working in a in a in a foundry making manhole covers um, requires a little bit of a blue collar work ethic, if I'm not mistaken. 
Yeah, I definitely would say that on on both my mom's side, looking looking to my my grandfather and, and, and great grandparents, uh, you know, as well as looking to my dad's side, I think absolutely that that work ethic piece and is is very much there. And, and I think there's yeah, there's, there's a unique perspective to some extent that comes from from being in a in a place with that like strong culture of of, of doing and manufacturing and all of that. And that that, but I think please do to for some of the sports stuff at least at least peripherally and and it is. In some ways, fundamentally different from the culture that I've encountered in some cases in places like New York, where I spent a fair amount of my adulthood. Um, right. So yeah, that's a good, good, good observation. So, at what point did you um, show an interest in in science uh, over other other areas of study in school? Well, I was I was a pretty big nerd growing up, and uh, I was especially I was very into math uh, from a very young age. My my favorite toy. I remember my parents bought me a calculator when I was three or four, I think it's Big Lost, and uh, that was like one of my, I had two calculators in particular, two poppy calculators, and those were like my, two of my favorite toys, if not my favorite toys, um, when I was like, you know, four and a half, five, five and a half, six years old, I, I, I really, and I, you know, certainly uh, um, learned patterns from playing around with a calculator and, and learned some basic mathematical operations, maybe a little younger than a lot of kids, and I was really, really into math for the most part for a while, and I was Kind of what you call it, math. I was involved in math competitions from a pretty young age, and as you know, you know the sciences. When you come into the physical sciences, like physics and chemistry, they're a very strong quantitative basis. I've known myself to be very analytical and quantitatively minded from a young age, you know. And I, I guess my love of science really blossomed more during high school, to be honest. Um, uh, largely from having great teachers. Um, my, my high school chemistry teacher and I are still in touch, Mr. Timothy Latanzio. Uh, he is certainly the, the primary emphasis for me to go into chemistry in particular. Um, we had a very, you know, very close relationship with my having him as a teacher, and I, you know, joined and became very active in the science club and various, you know, science competitions uh, through him. So it, that was really, that was really the root of my, of, of my, my pivot from math to science, I guess. Well, um, at some point during your teen years, I know both, uh, you know, you grew up in a conservative Jewish household, and when I say conservative, yeah. I mean of the different levels of observance with between the, mm-hmm. you know, the Orthodox conservative and the reform, uh, kind yep. of smack dab in the middle, uh, yep. uh, family observed and, and were members of a conservative congregation there in, in, in Monroeville or in, in the Pittsburgh area. Um, mm-hmm. at some point though, you and both your, you and your sister Elise, um, gravitated towards, uh, what I think you've identified as a more, uh, modern Orthodox observance yeah. of your faith. Yeah. Um, do you mind talking about what kind of led you there and kind of how, how all that happened and what that meant to you at that time? Sure, that's a great question. Uh, I, I can speak for myself, you know, certainly. I can't speak for Elise, although certainly uh, you know, it definitely helped that we were both going on these journeys that were, I wouldn't say parallel per se, but that were intersecting. Uh, for me, it started around the time of my bar mitzvah, around the time that I turned 13. I started, I, I started thinking about things in life and, and God and, 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 you know, about, I guess, you know, some of those bigger questions that you start to ponder in your teenager about you know, your purpose and about, you know, the bigger picture of right and wrong and everything and morals and ethics. And, and for me, I, I was someone who, as, as, as I said, I was kind of a quantitative analytical thinker. I was very, I was very black and white. You know, that was kind of my, 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 my thing. I, I, I always saw things very clearly. It was, only, it was only much later in my later teen and in college years that I saw things with more shades of gray. And so as a 13-year-old, I was like, well, you know, I, 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 I saw some inconsistencies in, in like, 
in, in high in, in religion as I thought being practiced around where I was, and I kind of felt like, well, do I believe in God or, or don't I? And if I do, if I, I I decided that I did, I was like, well, if I believe in God, then I should learn more of like what you know, what does that what does that mean? Like what is what does religious observance mean? What is what is this, what does it mean to follow the faith? And and that kind of took me down. I wouldn't call it a rabbit hole, but it took me on a path where you know a good rabbit hole, a good path where I you know learned and and. Uh, you know, as with, when you're learning anything, you know, you you, you learn and and, uh, and make adjustments accordingly. And it, it certainly, as a as a you know, as a 14 or so year old, you know, which is when I became more more outwardly observant and, and kind of things continued. As a 14 year old and as a 15 year old, etc., like it definitely I made some you know significant you know changes in my life in terms of um, adhering to a strict Sabbath observance and keep uh, you know keeping strictly kosher and 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 you know and and learning more about you know religious observances and religious laws and things of that nature and and learning more you know studying more Torah and whatnot. It was definitely a transition, and it's, it's funny. Like I remember at first, my 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 friends were certainly very surprised at first because unlike my sister who really enjoyed going to after school Hebrew school and Sunday school, I didn't really enjoy that stuff so much like most kids who, who went. And um, you know, and I at, at first for a while thought about going to you know the bar mitzvah lessons, learning how to read the Torah and all of that. So yes, it was a little surprising, but really surprising, and it certainly took some adjusting you know and, and conversations with them as well, since I was of course a teenager living at home. Um, but you know, to me, it is. It isn't, I guess I don't have the same kind of story that a lot of people who, are, so folks who become more observant, are often uh, called uh, balchuva or the plural is balitshuva, and it's kind of the idea it means returning to the faith. Um, um, and um, I, a lot of people have a specific story where they were following a specific leader had a specific experience when they went to Israel or they or they went somewhere, went to a particular, had a camp experience or whatever. And for me, it wasn't really any, it wasn't really that per se. It was just kind of thinking about things. And, and then certainly I'm, I, I, I was very fortunate to, to meet people. Um, as, as you know, Larry, my mom is very, very good at keeping in touch with a very, very broad uh, cross-section of her family with cousins, extended cousins, et cetera. And we have, a, we have cousins of a wide variety of walks of life, which I think is really phenomenal, as well as a wide variety of, you know, religious views, faith, faith, Perspectives, lifestyles, in, in different ways, and um, you know, it hasn't happened. I had a cousin, I have a cousin who is my age, uh, who um, whose family had become observant, and so I actually um, became friends with her and, her and a couple of her friends and her family. Um, and like, I remember spending time um, in New Jersey with her for for a Shabbat for like a family bar mitzvah or two family bar mitzvahs, maybe of those. Um, and you know, I met like I you know also became close with. Uh, um, the rabbi of the traditional synagogue that we had been attending at that point, which is actually the congregation my mother had attended growing up, which was interesting. Um, so, and, um, yeah, it was, a, it was certainly a journey, but it, for me, it was, uh, it was just kind of excited with what I was thinking about, and, and just, as I said, like, kind of what made sense, and kind of feeling like it, it's just like, well, if I believe, then I need to figure out, I need to like, learn more about what, what the observances and laws and statutes mean, and I should probably be going along and learning and following those to the best of my ability, and, and certainly I've, I've, you know, my, my perspective maybe on that's a little is, is a little more nuanced than that now as a thirty five year old, but that's kind of where it, where it started and and, and you know I, I guess you know to, some people think that it's like surprising to, to get really into science and get really into religion, but like for me those, that, that wasn't really uh, wasn't really a challenge at all, and it, it was it was all kind of consistent for me. So well, hopefully that gives you some some insights to work with or some jumping off points. Right. <laughs> Now you mentioned uh, your bar mitzvah, and I remember being there. Um, yeah. Was that at the same? Was that the synagogue where there was the tragic shooting a couple of years ago? 
Yeah, you are correct there. Yes, that was that tree of life. That's right. Okay, so I I do remember that. Now, um, you ended up graduating high school, and you decided on Brandeis University, which is a Jewish university in um, right outside Boston. What's the name of the town? Yeah, Waltham. Yes, it is a non-sectarian Jewish-sponsored university where over half of the students are Jewish. Yes, you got it. Now, how much did your um, your deep faith uh, play into your decision to go to Brandeis? A great deal, a great deal. Uh, my decision to go to Brandeis was based on three things, um, um, and they each played a major role. One was that I really wanted to be in a place that had an observant religious community, because living in Monroeville um, at that time, there wasn't really any sort of established observant community or things of that nature, you know, for me to be able to like, walk, to a, walk to a congregation to pray and, you know, and, and kind of have a, a, a Shabbat experience on a regular basis. Um, and uh, so, you know, I, I looked a lot at, you know, at colleges that, that were fortunate enough to have strong Jewish communities, but more than that, you know, having a kosher meal plan and having, having Shabbat services, daily services, and having a strong, a strong Jewish community, um, learning opportunities, et cetera. So that was a very big thing, and that was certainly how Brandeis got on the map. The other two reasons I went to Brandeis, um, which, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't have come up for, without the first one probably, were uh, that they, they do a very strong science program. I knew that I, that I wanted to go into the sciences, and, and also I was very fortunate to, uh, to get, you know, some, some generous scholarship packaging from them um, on the basis of, of, uh, of, of, you know, my academic merits and whatnot. No word from our sponsor. That's right, we have sponsors now. Have you experienced pain in your lower extremities, even your hips or lower back after standing or walking? Your feet may not fit in your shoes or on the ground properly. Soul Man Foot Insoles, with 30 years experience making people's feet feel more comfortable, can help. Henry Soulman Veloz is the official insole provider for UTEP Athletics and has made custom insoles for my athletic, casual, dress shoes, and work boots for 15 years now. You can find him on Facebook at Soulman Custom Foot Insoles or you can call him at 915-241-2153. That is S-O-L-E-M-A-N Custom Foot Insole on Facebook and call him 915-241-2153. Now, I think you something you touched on was something I was going to ask about. I would imagine that there is um, were there separate dining facilities for separate kosher and non kosher dining facilities. Uh, there's one so the the main cafeteria style dining hall, uh, which is called Sherman. Uh, there's like one big dining hall, and there's a kosher side and a non kosher side, and it's just a flight. You go in. What was nice about it is you know you could have you know you could eat whatever you wanted to you know and and uh, um, you know granted that. There were, uh, the majority of the folks who were keeping kosher sat in the, ch- in, on the, t- at the tables that were closer to the, to the, uh, to the, to the, uh, the kosher areas of the buffet, and, right. and those who didn't keep kosher were, you know, closer or more on that side of the room. But you could certainly mix and fit with, with whoever you wanted to, and some folks would even, you know, get a tray from each side, and, you know, it was, that was kind of how, how, how it went in the main dining hall. Now, you ended up uh, doing, uh, if I'm not mistaken, a combined bachelor's and master's program in chemistry. Yes, I did an accelerated four-year uh, bachelor's, master's in chemistry. That's right. So it was actually four. You did both in four years. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty stressful. <laughs> I, I can imagine. Uh, did you do summers and and take what eighteen credits a semester or what? Um, well, I was fortunate to uh, to enter with a fair number of credits from high school. Um, I took. I was. I mean, you can use the word nerd. You can use the word just. I guess maybe academically very focused. Uh, I was very, really, you know, a really strong student in high school. I took a lot of. 
a lot of AP courses and challenged myself wherever I could. And so I, 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 if Brandon would have let me, I would have come up with 28 credits. Um, they, they max you out at 16. So I brought in 16 plus advanced, plus just like placing into more advanced classes in general in certain areas. So I, I came in with, you know, with advanced standing and I, I, I did take some, some intense semesters. I took, you know, most of the time 16 or 18 credits, occasionally 18 to 20. Um, and I, I did not take any summer classes at all. Um, I, 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 worked, I worked in the summers um, in laboratories as a research assistant um, every summer from, 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 you know, the end of high school through, through college. I think um, I remember yeah. there was a time we went to visit and we, we all went to a Pirates game. I think it's the only time I've been to PNC Park. And you were, <laughs> you were talking my ear off about some work you were doing at the University, or University of Pittsburgh, something with melatonin receptors. Very good. I was actually a good team, but yes, I was working with melatonin receptors. Um, when I was 17, 18, and 19 years old, for three summers, I worked in a computational biochemistry lab and a, and a pharmacology lab um, over there. And then I actually, I, well, you, you went there, but I presume I saw your parents then. The, in the summer of 07, I actually was at University of Maryland doing um, some physical chemistry research and material science working on drug delivery systems. So, yeah, that, you, you, you remembered correctly. I have a pretty good um, memory. So, in any case, you, you graduated from Brandeis with that, uh, the, mm-hmm. the combined bachelor's, master's in chemistry. How did you end up in New York City? <laughs> That's a great question, Larry. Um, it doesn't come up as often anymore as it used to. Um, so, during my time at Brandeis, I developed an increasing interest in, in, in education and specifically around issues of educational equities and, you know, well, starting out with kind of being indignant of a lot of inequities and wanting to work towards equity in education, specifically in science education. Um, that started actually just kind of a very impromptu. During my freshman orientation, I, I happened upon, you know, you, you go to different events during freshman orientation, and there was a professor by the name of Mario Levinson who, you know, spoiler, spoiler alert, went on to become a beloved professor and mentor for me. Um, and someone I'm still friendly with and talk to. Um, and she was, you know, just giving a, giving a session during orientation, a, you know, a talk. And I, I happened to go to the summer, that sounds interesting. And it was a talk on education and social policy. And I was just kind of smitten with it. I mean, this is fascinating, you know. However, I had my, my four-year plan already. I actually declared my chemistry major literally the day before my freshman year started. Um, and um, so I had my plan already developed. And I don't really have time to do any of this right now, but I kind of thought, oh, maybe as I go along, maybe my second, maybe my third year, I'll try taking one of Professor Levinson's courses. Um, we did. Starting my third year, I took, uh, took uh, courses with her. Um, and in particular, her, she had a class on education and social policy at 155. And I loved it. I absolutely loved going to the class, doing the readings. I found the readings relaxing. And, and I mean, sometimes kind of maddening, but really, like, I just enjoyed doing it. And I really enjoyed learning and speaking with her and being part of the class discussions. And it was certainly exercising a very different part of my brain than a lot of my chemistry classes. And it was a lot more discussion-based and, and, and whatnot as well. And, um, you know, I, I spent a fair amount of time talking with her as well as, you know, I had a, there were a few chemistry professors who I was close with. And, um, you, know, the, you know, they also saw my, my growing interest in, in, in educational aspects of things. I, I had a fellowship my junior year at Brandeis um, called the Shift Fellowship where I actually developed an undergraduate um, small molecule X-ray crystallography, crystallography module for uh, for one of the lab courses, which I then taught for, uh, for for a couple of semesters, that that just that module. So my, my 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 math my research is on understanding the structures of molecules, small molecule exocytology. So, um, but um, in any case, anyway, Jeremy, I, you I, ended I, up. Should I can move along a little faster here? <laughs> Sorry. No, um, 
you ended up at New York and you taught oh. and were a part of a program at called the Ellis High School in the yeah. Bronx. Um, yeah, that's a really interesting. And I've had you know had a lot of fun over the years, kind of following following yeah. your 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 job uh, through you know don't get to see you too often, mm-hmm, but through yeah. mostly through Facebook posts. <laughs> yeah. Um, tell tell me what what is Ellis about? What is what is the Ellis program? Okay. Well, I'll, I'll start with how I ended up there. So basically, I've been long story short. I think long story. As I was finishing college, I knew that I wanted to, to move into some sort of space, working more in education and not as much in the lab anymore. And so I, you know, applying all sorts of jobs, all sorts of places. Um, I, I initially turned down a position um, as part of the Mason teaching fellows. Um, Largely because my mother can partially my mom can see documents in New York, and because I didn't learn those in New York, then I, I, I applied for this program called iStart, which is a new teaching residency program to train individuals who have content specialty to be to also become ESL teachers, essentially, both jointly content and ESL teachers in this network of schools called the International Network of Public Schools, who are small progressive public high schools across New York City, across the borough that serve newcomers and immigrants who are English language learners. And um, on June 24th, 2009, 2000, sorry, June 24th, 2008, 10.02 p.m., I still remember exactly, I got an email from someone named Norma Vega, and it subject line said Ellis, and uh, I almost believe the email, but I opened it up, and this Norma, who was the founding principal, she was a former social worker, she found that there was this unmet need uh, to serve the educational and, 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 and psychosocial and, 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 you know, professional, et cetera, all the needs, the holistic needs of 16 to 21 year olds who were newcomers to the United States who did not yet know the language, who were immigrants, asylum seekers, refugees, etc. And, you know, she wanted to build a school that would be a, a community, a home, a school for this population. And, um, she convinced, she, she, she got in touch with me and, and she was, she was, you know, part of this network, the international network, and, and, uh, she, um, um, you know, was in touch with me and, and uh, interviewed me, and my interview was actually more of her convincing me to work for her, and, and uh, that was fun. And um, so I, I came aboard there, and it, I was just a, it was a really, you know, this is what, it still is a, it's a really, really outstanding and extraordinary unique place. Uh, I mean, I, I mentioned already, what, you know, the population you serve, and certainly there's a, there's a lot that comes with that in terms of this, it's a very different and unique space from what I think a lot of us think of as high school and what high school means, you know, in terms of, in terms of language, in terms of age, in terms of a lot of the challenges that students were going through, in terms, you know, from from family separation to some of the things that have gone on, gone on from the perspective of our immigration system over the past few years, to um, just you know, to balancing a lot of them were working, had pressure to work from various places, and or were just like, adapting not only linguistically but culturally, and just you know, like there's also you know, they're also for, for the most part living in you know, living in neighborhoods throughout the West Bronx, South Bronx, and up in Manhattan that. Where, you know, where there's, where there's concentrated poverty, there's a lot of challenges, you know, and, you know, we, we really strive to be a community at Ellis, really, you know, work with the students, help the students, and we really are trying to fundamentally alter the status quo with respect to the opportunities available to these students. So, that started out with me teaching there, and then over time, shifted to my, you know, building and launching the school's college advising efforts with the, you know, certainly with the support of Norma and with some other key colleagues in there, and, you know, it's a special place, and I, I'll be honest with you, when I moved to New York, as my parents will tell you, my plan was to stay for two years, maybe three at most, and I just really fell in love with my students and, and, and working with them and being inspired by them, and, and you know, I'm, I've said this many times, and a number of my students really became role models and heroes for me. Uh, ultimately, I ended up writing a dissertation in a book about them. 
Um, and, you know, I ended up staying in New York. Somehow I was in New York for 11 years. I don't know how I pulled that off. Um, but uh, but yeah. um, it, it, it was quite the journey, and I really, you know, it, it's a really vibrant place. And, and the thing about New York, you know, is a school with, 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 with the characteristics of Ellis and just the, the vibrant diversity of Ellis, it'd be hard to, hard to see that occur in a lot of other places. So that was, that for me was like the, the real special part of living, of being in New York, you know. Well, um, what I liked about New York was very distinct from what most people New York got. I didn't really care about the, the Broadway, the what the supposed high culture, and all that, what I call all that crap. I, I like, you know, very certain civic things, yeah. um, you know, well, I was there. So. you seem to have been very successful at getting a lot of your students uh, accepted to universities into uh, STEM programs. Uh, is it safe to say that without the Ellis program, there, the ability of these people to to have not only graduated high school, but uh, you know, go on to college and, and major in STEM fields would be pretty pretty low. Well, well, I'll tell you is, you know, Norma started the school because um, these these were, stu- these were among the many students throughout New York City and other white cities who were falling through the cracks and the, the prevailing, you know, expectations and status quo for, the, for these individuals before our school opened was, all right, you know, you're near the U.S., you're, you know, you're, they were often seen as being too old, too limited linguistically, too limited economically, because I should have pointed out, we said the things regardless of prior education. So a lot of our students had not gone to school consistently you know, on a full-time basis. We had students who were out of school for a number of years. We had a, a lot of students, perhaps in the, certainly the majority at, some, at certain times, who went to school part-time, maybe three, four hours a day throughout their lives. So, it, you know, before our school existed, it was, yeah, like, just, you know, go to work or maybe try to get a GED and see what happens and maybe get ch- channeled into extensive remediation at a community college. And, was, you know, I'm not going to say completely brief, because certainly... You got, you know, there's always stories of really, you know, remarkable, awesome, resilient folks, but I think that, you know, Norma and Ellison and what we were trying to do really, yeah, I think we did fundamentally alter what was available to these individuals educationally, career-wise, college-wise, et cetera. And when I over that college piece, that was really the, the focus was, all right, now we're getting them through high school, but that's not enough. We don't, want to, we don't want to just settle for what could have been, what would have been opportunities that have already been set up for students, students like these or somewhat like these before. We wanted to kind of kind of crash through the scene, so to speak, of, of what was available. And that involved a lot of a lot of thought and strategy and a lot of relationship and coalition building to, to get to get to get people to buy in. And that was really one of the hardest things that I mean the, the work I did in, in developing and, 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 and teaching reading level project project based and language integrated chemistry courses in that school was very hard. Um, so too was and very rewarding in the end and so too was was the work on the college front, um, and uh, at this point, you know, the proof in the pudding, and ultimately, the the, the dissertation that I wrote, and more, even more of the books that I that I followed up with, to me, were you know, the, it's a research project, and it's it's also hopefully inspiring and interesting stories about these phenomenal individuals who I got to, who I was honored to work with. But it's also a proof of concept that that a lot of the powers of be were wrong, period. You know, and that if you have certain things in place, if there's certain, if you if you have high expectations matched with high support and you're really strategic and thoughtful about those supports, then even in a in a setting where no, you don't have everything in an optimal sense, yes there are a lot of challenges and no we couldn't always offer things we wanted to offer academically or sometimes extracurricularly, but you get you get you, get, you can still get things done and, and you can really still fundamentally broaden the opportunities and hope. That, that, that students have, and, and, and that was, you know, that was a big team effort. It was the school, it was also a matter of 
developing some really key partnerships with folks at universities, starting out a small number of universities and then kind of blossoming, you know, from there. And, and ultimately, you, you started seeing the proof in the pudding. I mean, I'm very proud to say that when I left Ellis, we had six alumni of the school who were working there. You know, one of them was, was well, multiple individuals of those were students who I both taught and advised. One of them was someone who, I guess, who was, I guess one of our, um, a great example, an exemplar, one might say, of the work we were doing, both that I was doing with them in chemistry and, and some of the STEM work, enrichment-wise, as well as, you know, college-wise. That, that young man, Luis, is a good friend of mine and, and actually served as a professional reference for my job, the last two jobs I've gotten, actually. He um, was a student, the first student I ever met, actually, the first day of and now he's been, he's been a math teacher there for four years. Wow. And, you know, that, that's, that's the kind of thing that's the proof in the pudding, you know, and they're always liking, you know. You know, Jeremy, um, I've... Uh... Not too long ago, I saw a meme or something on social media that really kind of struck me and, and really made me think of, of you and the job that you were doing at Alice. And it, something to the effect of wondering how many future Albert Einstein spent their lives picking cotton uh, in, in the Old South. And um, it just seems to me that um, you're, you're basically working towards taking opportunities to look at uh, – pools of talent, uh, of human talent, human capital, uh, that have been um, underrepresented uh, in a lot yep. of ways in a lot of different places. And a good six, eight months ago when uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg died, I saw somebody post something as well on social media about what made her and what drove her uh, to, to be the champion for justice that she was and for equal rights. And it, there were references to, to her, her Judaism and her faith um, and, and of course, I'm not, you know, have not been for a number of years, never really was uh, the most observant uh, and certainly not the most learned uh, Jew in the world with regard to the Bible and the Torah and, and, and all those uh, texts. But uh, I do understand that there is very much a, a common thread throughout Judaism that, that uh, teaches us and, and implores us to seek justice. How much of your faith was an influence in your choosing not only obviously didn't didn't cause you to choose to study science but to work towards um kind of trying to even the playing field and giving opportunities to underserved and upper underrepresented populations people who especially have been underrepresented not just in college but also in stem fields it's a big question and i'm glad that you that you brought up the issue of of, of of talent going underdeveloped and unnoticed and unappreciated um and and you know the idea of really trying to really, you know, build capital, right? Really, really connecting, and that's, that's really how the, I guess, the concept in which I do my work, and, and that's actually kind of the whole point of my new role, so I appreciate you brought that up. And to think about this question of faith that you kind of primed me for before our interview today, and how this kind of connects. So I, I actually say, you know, that, I, I, so I think that, you know, as I told you, you know, growing up, I, certainly as a teen, I saw things pretty black and white, and I, I saw things as I was becoming observant, you know, this idea of kind of doing what, you know, what Hashem, God wanted, um, to me was about, you know, what I'm supposed to do in terms of my religious life, but also in terms of what that means in terms of my, my academic and career life as well. And that actually was really the, what drew me to go into the, the area of science that I went into and then into my educational career, because I wanted to help people. You know, I, I think that um, in Judaism we do have this concept of, of, of tikkun olam, right, of, of trying to, to kind of repair and, and, and help the world and, and, uh, you know, you hear about that more within certain segments and from certain people than others. I think it's very central, certainly central to me. Um, and, um, you know, I think that, 
you know, we, we, in Judaism, we think about, you know, you, serving God, but also serve, serving your fellow human beings. And as you may recall, I, I was also kind of a, I'm also a long-time vegetarian in the last year, so I've kind of taken that to, as, as many others have too, that, you know, also kind of, you know, thinking about your planet and your, and your fellow, fellow beings beyond just humans. But anyway, we focus mostly on humans in terms of most of my work. So, uh, my work actually in, in its entirety. So, yeah, I think like, it, it was definitely very involved. Like, when I, when I was into science and, and then, you know, primitive, like, I, what I wanted to do in science was I, I wanted to do research um, to that, that would you know help with you know drug design or, or drug delivery, preferably you know to help to, to help with um, psychiatric drugs in particular. That was an interest of mine, and then I because I thought that was an area that was really important to me and that was important to the world, and, and, and there needed to be work done around there. And and um, and, and then as, as I shifted towards education, I kind of I made this decision to shift from learning from deciphering the structure of the new molecules to kind of try to, to elucidate, you know, new, new ways, new, uh, new ways to, you know, to help more people get into science, more people to, to elucidate structures for more people to, get, to, to become scientists, become scientists, become the innovators, and become the Einstein's or whatever you want to say, or become the, um, the Percy Julian, to become the George Washington Carver's, et cetera. Um, and so, you know, I think, you know, that the faith, the faith piece was important. And I also feel like, uh, and I should have mentioned this before, not just to show them, but also just, you know, my, my mother is someone who, you know, I think, you know, we certainly have overlapping but not the same thoughts and practices exactly faith-wise, but, but, you know, she's someone who's been extremely dedicated as an educator her entire career, and, and I think her approach, you know, has, has been an inspiration. I think for her, I've never explicitly asked her if it was faith-related for her, but, to me, it seems very faith and or culturally related as to how she approaches things, and that's, that's very much rubbed off on me. I, I mean, you, you know, you, you, you and my mom pretty well. I mean, we're very different people, but I think that a lot of maybe that perspective, and, and I, I've certainly drawn a lot of inspiration from, from her dedication. I mean, she was just an incredibly selfless and dedicated person to her students and to her family, and definitely what she's in touch with, whether it's teaching, making big kids, whatever. And so for me, yeah, it's, it is kind of all in one, and uh, yeah, I, I think like, you know, I, I think there's something you said about, about kind of finding your purpose, you know, and what, for some people that's, that's related to, 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 to faith and God and, and, and whatnot. For some people it isn't. I mean, for me it, it is. And, and, um, but, you know, I, I, I think that, you know, I, I kind of, over time, kind of stick it, you know, shock into maybe my focus on what I, what I might do or what I could, what I could focus on. And, you know, to be honest, Larry, even as I developed this interest in, in, um, in, in education, in, in urban education, urban STEM education, I, I never really thought I was going to work in New York or at a high school, let alone for that long. That kind of happened, you know. That's one of those things that in life you can't really predict. I, I thought I was going to start out and, and, and work for a long time at the, on, on the university level, um, you know. But things happen, and I'm, I'm, you know, super grateful for so much of what happened there. But, you know, it's definitely intertwined. And another, another way it's intertwined is, look, part of why I ended up in, in New York also is, look, New York has a big Jewish community. I found New York overwhelming overall, but part of the reason New York was even on the radar was it was a place that I could practice my faith. And in fact, one of the really cool things about the neighborhood where I live in, which is Washington Heights, which is a, a really interesting neighborhood um, that, while I don't like how overwhelming and crazy and, 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 and concrete-based New York is, Washington Heights, where I lived, was this predominantly Latino neighborhood that was a very strong Dominican heritage for a number of years. Before that, it had a very, very strong Jewish heritage and still did. It was a majority Dominican minority Jewish neighborhood. So it was a very interesting place. I had um, a number of students for my neighbors and also had a strong Jewish community there. And look, I mean, I, I, um, 
you know, beyond just kind of being driven to some of this, some of this equity-focused work from the perspective of faith and, and I guess what I thought of as more of an ethics, in terms of wearing that being what I was doing, you know, there's kind of this confluence as well of, of where I, where it is, where this community is. You know, like, I'm, I'm someone who loves nature and I would love to live in a more remote place. However, as a, as a Sabbath observant Jew, I need to live walking distance to a, to, to a, to a congregation that I, that, that I, that, you know, it's a community that, that I feel comfortable with. And, you know, for better or worse in America, that means certain places and, um, you know, yeah. it tends to be more densely populated places. So, no, of you know, course. Now, I, I find that interesting, a, a Dominican-Jewish neighborhood. That's an interesting uh, intersection there. Um, it is fascinating. It is, I even hosted some Shabbat meals that I called Bridging the Heights. Right? Yeah. I would actually have Luis, who I mentioned before, who was my former student, turned colleague and friend. He was also my Dominican cooking instructor. So we actually prepared a, um, a, a jointly Dominican and Jewish uh, Shabbat dinner together. We also did one of my former Salvadorian students. So I, as you may know, I've also had this kind of broader interest in kind of multiculturalism over time, which, you know, to me, is, and that was rooted in my upbringing in the middle, honestly, um, which, you know, to me is, you know, that's kind of just part of who I am and part of how I view life and faith and everything, so. Well, that sounds almost like it would be a good idea for a reality television show. I guess I we neglected to mention, <laughs> you got your Ph.D. from Columbia, correct? Yes, I did, yeah. And it was a, it was a Ph.D. in... Science education, uh, working with Professor Chris Emden. Okay, so before we wrap up, Jeremy, uh, can we get maybe a prediction for this year's uh, Pittsburgh Pirates? <laughs> so bad you ask me that, Larry. Um, I'm, you know, as you know, I'm a very optimistic person. Um, I, I've been really upset seeing projections of you know losing 105, 102, 107 games. So I'm going to go out in the room and say that the Pirates are going to be above 500. That's what I'm going to say. They're going to be above 500. Things are going to fall into place. Um, the pitching staff is going to grow and not have injuries. Um, they're going to max, they're, they're going to, you know, maximize their talent on both sides of the ball. Um, you know, pitching as well as hitting and hopefully do And I don't know. I, I, I wouldn't want to go on record saying that the Pirates would lose 100 games, and I, and I never would. And, and while realistically, I think, there's a good chance they, you know, they may not have a win. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say, we make this bold prediction, this is going to be like the street show of 97, and they're going to, but even better, and they're going to go over 500. Well, and 97 wins uh, might sound a little bit lofty, but um, not to be answered on this episode, but my uh, your next assignment from your older cousin, Mr. Okay. Science, Technology, Engineering, and Mathematics, is to find a way for your non-internet, non-computer, non-technologically oriented parents and find a way for them to listen to this episode <laughs> and, and if you can solve that then I think a Nobel Prize may be in order Jeremy Hyman uh, thank you so much uh, my cousin for being on this episode of the Square Peg Podcast ladies and gentlemen that's going to do it for this episode we will see you next time on the Square Peg Podcast where we interview mold breakers trailblazers and takers of roads less traveled Proudly produced by LasCrucesToday.com and Bravo Mike Communications.